Hey TE5 Life Show community, this is Dan Mitri, CMO of New Wave Holdings. Uh, Coleco and I had a great conversation over the latest podcast where we talk about my new venture, New Wave Holdings, my background, my time with Battlefield, and my thoughts on esports and the future of esports. So join along. I hope you enjoy the podcast and hit me up on Twitter. Hey podcast, what is going on? Coleco here bringing the new episode here of the T5 Life. And on today's episode, I have Dan Mitri here. Really excited to have him on the podcast. Uh, he is the CMO of New Wave Holdings, which is a esports investment company. And he's going to tell us all about that and what he's got going on there. Uh, Dan, welcome to the podcast, man. Hey, Coleco, thank you for hosting. Uh, I'm honored to be here. Uh, very excited. And I can't wait to get, you know, talk about games, man. Talk about this uh, emerging industry that is esports in North America. We know it's been worldwide, but there's just so much chatter going on. I hope that you and I can have a good conversation around what we think is going to happen and where some of the Absolutely. big players are in the scene. Absolutely, man. You know, I've been I've been in, in esports. I, I just really obsessed with it, man, for the latter half of the last, I don't know, seven, eight years. And I'm I'm just you know I'm super thrilled to finally see that like th it's it's coming to fruition. It's a real thing. It's it's taken over pop culture, man. You know, obviously seeing universities and colleges, man, kids can go to school now, get full rides to go, you know, be on an esports team, man. I mean, that's I didn't. No one thought that stuff was going to happen, man. I mean, that's just crazy. Um, but uh, but damn, before we before we jump into everything, why don't you give our audience just a little bit of context about who you are, uh, kind of where you've came from, man, your journey in gaming and esports, and kind of what's you know how how you've led up to where you are today. Sure, yeah. So if you're in any of the communities that I've run across my career, you obviously know who I am. But uh, for those who who don't know, um, I started my career in gaming 16 years ago. Uh, I, I actually started at a GameStop, you know, coming right out of, I was actually still in high school. So, uh, I learned the retail space there and really got to pour my love and passion into, into, uh, you know, forming, uh, relationships with consumers. I moved to LA and I got my first job in the development side of the gaming industry where I was a QA tester. So, uh, I did, yeah, I was a video game tester. If you ever watched that, that movie, Grandma's Boy. It was literally like that. It was a, a jungle chaos of, uh, of gamer guys and gals that would just play the same game, the same level for months on end. Uh, so I was with Vivendi Universal, and one of the first games I worked on was Fear. Uh, if you remember that, it was uh, yeah. Kind of, yeah, a, a psycho thriller uh, with that crazy ragdoll effects. Uh, it was a lot of fun. But from there, uh, I had a great writing proficiency and I always wanted to get into the journalism side of video games. Well, there is an opportunity with my very trusted uh, friend, Chris Mansell, who's now the director of community at Electronic Arts. <clears throat> we first met good uh, 15 years ago and he said, wow, you know, this kid has great writing sensibilities to him. Uh, let's bring him over in a marketing fashion. I need an assistant community manager. So I came on uh, at Sierra Online, which was a subsidiary of Vivendi and Activision Blizzard. They're best known for the Leisure Suit Larry uh, franchise, but they also were cranking out uh, marketplace digital titles for Xbox Live Arcade when that first hit and PlayStation Store. So all the, all the, the digital video games that were, were coming out. 
Uh, and so one of the first titles that I, I was an assistant community manager on was uh, Freestyle. Uh, it was called Freestyle Street Basketball. It was a Korean-based MMORPG basketball game. So I really cut my teeth there, uh, ran a lot of tournaments, uh, uh, you know, kind of incubated the early esports scene with that game and, and really learned how to manage communities. Now, I'm going to fast forward a little bit here. Uh, from there, I jumped to a toy company called Spin Master, uh, where, uh, you know, I kind of diversified my background a bit more with toy properties and bringing web interactive experiences uh, to big brands like Bakugan, which was a successor to Pokemon, um, uh, Tech Deck, which is the mini uh, finger skateboards, Air Hogs, which is the styrofoam uh, helicopters, predecessor to drones. Then from there, I jumped to THQ, worked on amazing franchises like Saints Row, uh, Homefront, MX versus ATV, uh, then skipped over to Sega of America, where I got to live my childhood dream of working on the Sonic the Hedgehog franchise. That was awesome. Yeah. And then uh, for the past five years, uh, prior to New Wave, I was at Electronic Arts. And that's where a lot of people know me from the Battlefield community. So running global community engagement, uh, working with our marketing teams there to roll out the uh, Battlefield 4, Hardline 1, and, and most recently 5. But also got to work with uh, The Sims, uh, Madden, NBA, um, uh, Anthem, and a couple other great titles. Uh, so, you know, I have great experience in the gaming industry. And, and what I pull from all that experience is the amazing relationships that I've made with community members and you being one of them. Um, it's that's invaluable, like that, or excuse me, priceless, um, that I can't replace. And that's, that's one thing that I, that I love about building communities and the work that I've done that I'm bringing over to the new wave side. Well, you know, and Dan, and for everyone, there's a lot of our guys, I know you're listening right now, uh, at least for the T5 gaming community, you know, we were founded in Battlefield, rooted in Battlefield, so, you know, we've, even though we've kind of expanded and, and we're, we're in many other games at this point, you know, Battlefield's always going to kind of hold that, that dear place in our heart, um, but Dan, like, I guess the first question, you know, Battlefield, I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about Battlefield. I know, I know my guys want to hear it. Um, I, I guess my first question is what was it like running or I guess or building or managing the Battlefield community, I guess, in itself? What was that like? Oh, man, it, it's um, it's up and down. You know, every, every community has its pluses and, and its positives and every uh, game has its, has its challenges. Um, so I came in on uh, Battlefield 4. We just launched Battlefield 4. And if you remember right, Netcode was the... The, yeah, the game was atrocious. It's oh, okay. You said it. I didn't say it. <laughs> it was atrocious. Uh, it was difficult, man. You know, uh, there was a lot of uh, messaging, uh, you know, uh, sensitivities. It was working a lot with, at the time, Carl, who was the GM of, of DICE, working a lot with, you know, uh, a lot of our, our network developers and, and a lot of the code and trying to get Battlefield 4 into a spot that can be played consistently with stability, you know. So netcode was the key word those first months there. That took us, if you remember right, that took us until the fall update of the next year to finally get it locked down. But once we did, we were able to create a great community that loved the game 
it, without that effort, Battlefield 4 still wouldn't be played to this day. It's still coveted as one of the one of the best Battlefields outside of Battlefield 3. Um, so, you know, I cut my teeth in a very challenging time with the community that made everything after that seem like a walk in the park. Um, so I, I very much appreciate being able to go through some of that fire with DICE, with the community, because it established me as someone that can uh, can take a challenge, dress it, and turn results. And the community favored me for that. Yeah, yeah. I'm also curious, um, Dan, like what was, you know, the stance, I guess, of DICE or EA or whatever on competitive play, you know, because that's always, you know, like, the, the, you know, obviously I was I was heavily a part of the competitive community, you know, with private servers and everything. But like, you know, is that something, I guess, that you foresee them taking real serious in the future? Do, I mean, do you think like esports, like is Battlefield going to really try to incorporate, you know, what COD's I guess doing with you know their their World League and all that, trying to to build something around that. Well, straight to the point, there, um, you know, there are some trade secrets that I'm not uh, in the position to divulge uh, here, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. But you know, let's look at the history of Battlefield. Um, you know, in Battlefield Four days, there was a big initiative behind competitive. There was uh, a great partnership with ESL and ESL One. Uh, hell, in fact, you know, uh, we were able to headhunt Florian Lebihan, who was a fanatic champion, uh, you know, undefeated for many years, and brought him over on, on onto the game design uh, side of, of Dice. He sits there in Dice Stockholm now. Uh, anyways, I, I digress. There, uh, we had a lot of initiatives in esports and. Unfortunately, Battlefield 4 didn't have a specific competitive mode that allowed for great spectator viewing, uh, that allowed for great shoutcasting calls. It was a bit more of like a, a shoehorned experience. And so they learned a lot from that. And so they took some of those learnings and applied that into Battlefield 1 Incursions. Now, Battlefield 1 Incursions, we know, was sunsetted um, internally, uh, they weren't at, they weren't able to nail the competitive mode quite uh, what it was needed to roll out in a mass audience fashion, but they learned a lot from that, yeah. and they they have said that there are more plans in the future of bringing some sort of competitive environment to the franchise. Um, so that's where you know some of my information needs to stop. I, I can't really talk about the future there. That's obviously all with uh, Jeff Braddock and Ben Walk. Uh, and a lot of the campaign management teams over there. But if this the past was any indicator, and we know that esports is absolutely growing, you have other EA franchises that are making big steps in, in the space, like Apex, uh, FIFA, Madden. You can expect one of their biggest AAA uh, titles to get on board soon in the future. Yeah, I mean, Apex, dude, that thing was huge. That thing took off. Yeah. The game's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good game. I, me personally, man, I, I've played it. I, I'm I'm still struggling to get into it. I, it's just like I don't know. It feels like there's just so much like you, happening, and you got to know. Takes a minute. You really got to kind of like get you know get your get your feet wet with it a good bit before I guess you start really getting good with it. But but yeah, we got we got a good bit of guys that play that for sure, man. And uh, you know, I know there's a lot of tournaments, a lot of stuff already happening with that. Man, I, I gotta ask you this too. Have, have has there ever been any talks about remastering BF3? Because 
Like if 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 they would ever release that game, dude. Like I know me and like probably half of my battlefield known world would like never stop playing that, dude. <laughs> I mean, there's always been talks about remastering some of the you know more prominent and successful titles in the Battlefield franchise. Um, personally, I'd love to see a 42 remaster. Holy crap! Um, I, I, maybe you know. I guess it, you can kind of think Battlefield Five is a 42 remaster. But uh, come on, let's see some Wake Island. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Battlefield Three. Uh, obviously, like I said, there's always been sort of talks in in the halls of of Dice and EA, um, but there hasn't been any commitment that I know of. Damn. Yeah. Like so. I mean, what? So what was your favorite Battlefield? Well, I have a, a soft spot in my heart for 42 um, because back back when 42 was released, this was prior to good, stable internet in homes. Like I couldn't afford DSL. Um, I had dial-up. So I had to go to land centers. And that's where I really got my taste of grassroots competitive scenes. This is, this is what, 2000 like one or 2002 um i was living in vegas at the time and i would get out to land centers just play battlefield 42 every single night you know of course you need a break from that so uh, i played some counter-strike go or excuse me um this would be cs 1.4 then eventually getting into source played some cow leagues there so played some competitive uh and played some unreal tournament as well um but battlefield 42 is always going to have a special place in my heart there just because it was my one of my first sandbox environment games that I really got into, and then um, Battlefield Three obviously is gonna is gonna take the second spot there. Yeah, dude, three three was like I played Bad Company Two, but I, I wasn't playing online yet. I was just you know I was kind of getting into online around that time. I played the single player that was great, but BF Three was like the first time I actually got into like online man and just absolutely fell in love with it. And man, I, I, I just there hasn't been a game to me that's came close, you know, it's from three. Um, you know, four, you know, the thing with four, like we, I mean, we were playing the heck out of four. Um, obviously once it was fixed and everything, but I mean, it's a great game now. Um, absolutely a great game. Yeah. Um, it took some time to get there. And, and we all knew that in the community, of course, you know, we were all pretty up in arms and like, Oh, you know, give me the game that we deserve. Um, you know, is this is this merely just a facelift of Battlefield 3? But what DICE was able to do was turn around an amazing game that's still played to this day. Like, looking at the numbers, the daily active and, and monthly active users are still very good. So the game has legs. It's fun. And I would say out of the most contemporary releases in the franchise, Battlefield 4 is the most hardcore. You know, just the, uh, the TTK and the TTD is so fast. You have so much different weaponry, uh, attachments, all the vehicles. You can really dial in your play style. It moves fast. Um, and, it's, and it's quite a contrastive experience from uh, more of a, of a casual, slower pace of Battlefield 1. Yeah. Yeah, see, that, I, I could not get into BF1 at all. Um, I kind of, I didn't, I barely, I probably played, I had less than like 200 hours in BF1. <laughs> um, Hardline did, you know. We, you know, Hardline was, you know, it was okay. Just couldn't get into that either. Dude. I mean, I think that's another reason why Four still got so many players, man, because it's, <laughs> it's a better game. <laughs> Hardline, Hardline was a, that was an interesting experience, right? So, 
Yeah. You know, EA tried to adopt a model um, that Activision had. That is, you know, bringing in multiple studios to, uh, you know, buy buy annualize or, or or almost annualize the franchise by cranking out a title every year or every other year using a different development house. You know, so from a development standpoint, you know, you need the the proper resources to trip, uh, crank out a AAA title without impacting other titles in the timeline. So that's where Visceral came in. And um, I know the community was very much up in arms saying, like, what is this? Why don't you title it something else? Uh, why is Visceral creating this? But the guys and the gals in Visceral did a bang up job. They they put their passion into this. And is it on paper, you know, apples to apples, a Battlefield title? I mean, that's up for for debate. But it is a completely different experience. You know, it's much more arcade. It's much more fast-paced. And I actually kind of enjoyed that. Um, I enjoyed being able to hop into, you know, a, a pseudo Camaro and, sh- and hanging out the window with an AK. It was just a different kind of experience. And I think it, I, I think from a strategic pan- standpoint, it really paved way to the appetite that Battlefield 1 brought in. I just, it was a lot of fun. It was a crazy campaign. Um, and I have fond experiences from it. Well, one thing I have to really give props to to Dice and EA, you know, especially with Battlefield Five, man. I mean, just graphically, it's a it's a, a gorgeous game, beautiful game. Right. Uh, I was really happy that uh, BR was announced and introduced. You know, um, you know, I, I think initially, you know, because like we we were all watching the the announcement, you know, because obviously we had so many people wanting a modern game, you know, all, you know, once they found out it's World War II, people thought it was going to be a reskin of BF1, but it's, it, you know, I, I enjoy five way, way more than, than one. I think the, the soldier movement, the gunplay itself is just, it's, it's a lot smoother. It's, uh, it, it's more enjoyable, at least for me. Um, you know, I, obviously I'm personally, I'm, you know, kind of excited to, to see uh, another modern come out, especially now with with the graphics, the way they are, and all the improvements and stuff, I think it's just it's it's going to be a really exciting future for uh, Battlefield in general, man. So I'm Dude, super I stoked. Totally agree with you. So I recently got a 2080 Ti. Um, you know, it was it was a it was a pretty pretty penny to to lock that down, but man, RTX on Battlefield Five looks phenomenal. It's incredible. Uh, so I'm with you. The visual fidelity that that Dice was able to put in here, especially with Nvidia's uh, developmental support, really elevated Battlefield Five to a, a a new area. But I do want to touch on how you consider Battlefield Five a bit more of a, a hardcore experience, and I think that's where the community has come in from a core perspective and adopted Five. You know, you have four. You have the polarized experience of Hardline, which was much more of a casual arcade experience. And then that paved way to a more casual audience coming in on One. You had a great critical success with One, with a lot of uh, new-to-franchise players adopting Battlefield for the first time. And so then you go into Five, and you have the core community wanting the fast-paced environment that was Four, but then you had the the masses, the casual audience that latched on the Battlefield 1 that are going into 5 and like, holy crap, I'm not that good at Battlefield as, as what I thought, and, four, and 5 is hard. So you had a very polarized experience with the casual saying, I can't play this, it's too difficult, I'm out. 
But then you have the core saying, this is awesome. I'm freaking chewing everybody up. And my KD is, is astronomical because all these casuals don't know how to play. So you have the core that were super excited about five. And you have the casuals that, that were bouncing after a week. Um, it was a very polarized uh, reception on the game. But I think uh, DICE have been able to nail it. They smoothed that out. They dialed in the TTK, the TTD. And then they, uh, they launched the aforementioned uh, Battle Royale Firestorm. And uh, I think Battlefield 5 is in a great spot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and the other thing too, man, I felt like with five, you know, going into a more of a hardcore, and, I, and I'm speaking in more of a competitive perspective, just because, like, you know, we have the in, in comp, competitive, you know, you had the core community, you had the hardcore, you know, there's a lot of a lot of people and teams that, that loved hardcore itself, and and I feel like with this game, um, the the gap i guess the 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 core to hardcore gaps definitely been bridged more than it's ever been and it's almost kind of unifying everything which i really like as well i think that's necessary um you know kind of trying to pull everybody and and this is how it is you know it's not oh i'm i'm playing hardcore you know and then i'm over here playing core or whatever like it wasn't for um but but yeah man i i i'm i'm really excited about it i've you know, I, I've seen a lot of good stuff, man, and, and like I said, I'm definitely, uh, you know, looking forward to, uh, you know, Battlefield in the future, man. Ho- hopefully, we'll see some North American esports growth. You know, you know, and that's kind of my last question, and we're gonna move on from Battlefield here, Dan. But you know, why why do you think, you know, like from from my, it's I guess from from my understanding, like Battlefield in Europe is like COD here in North America. You know, Battlefield's. Um, seems a massive in Europe, but yet in North America, it's just not, it's just not clicking. I mean, what do you think that is? Well, l- let me first kind of uh, base this in sales numbers alone. So uh, I, I see what you're saying from cultural and, and community perspective, but sales alone tell us that, uh, that North America audience is just as strong as Europe, like almost one for one. So when you look at units pushed, North America is digesting Battlefield just as much as Europe. Uh-huh. However, you do make a good point. The communities are much more vocal in European countries. There's a much more dense population of Battlefield players, especially from a competitive standpoint, uh, than North America. And I, and I think there's it's a very complex sort of formula here. You know, Call of Duty and other competitors to Battlefield uh, certainly own a lot of the mind share here within the North American space. Call of Duty is a, is a behemoth, um, and they've done a great job at penetrating cultural movement. We're talking celebrity endorsement to, you know, a uh, big, huge marquee advertisement on, you know, whether it's Times Square or, or across TV. They've done a great job there. So I think from, a, from an outsider perspective, you feel that COD's much bigger in North America. Um, and, but then you look at Europe. So Europe has adopted competitive and, and esports much sooner than North America. Um, obviously, uh, second to Asia. Asia is completely different. But Battlefield is not an Asian title. It, it just, it's a, that's a very Western title. But I think why we see it bigger in Europe is because the advancements in with ESL, um, some of the competitive scenes there, but also just how much more open to um, battlefield and that sandbox environment, uh, the the European communities and uh, and consumers are in North America. So you're so you think it's it's pretty much marketing. So, yeah, so. 
I would say it's marketing and, and community resonance. So when I ran, you know, uh, community there at EA, um, I saw the same thing. So, you know, the numbers were saying that there's parity in, in units pushed. But when I engage, when I create influencer programs or I build communities, it was the European side of the communities that were much more engaged. So that's why you have the biggest voices like Jack Frags and Westy, Sergeant Danger Cow, um, to name a few that are very prominent in the gaming or the Battlefield community, but a bit smaller on the North American side. Uh, you know, obviously in North America, you have guys like yeah, Flat Fire. Um, so, th so there are, you know, prominent voices in those two, but the bigger voices just happen to be in, in Europe. And I think that's where we kind of see the, the magnitude of Europe being a bit bigger. Do you see it? I mean, do you see North America adopting this and, and it growing here? And if so, I mean, how, how does that, how's it going to happen? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, as, as long as dice can, uh, create another triple a experience that resonates with both North American and European audiences, um, paying close attention to the growing esports appetite in North America, leveraging the appetite in uh, in Europe, I think that's it's totally realistic and and the expectation around North America adopting it from a conversational standpoint, just as much a, uh, as Europe, uh, is possible. But there's a lot of factors here that are involved. You know, what's the competitor landscape? Is Call of Duty releasing something that year? Uh, is some of our is, is some of EA's internal franchises also releasing a competitive title? You know, is there a Titanfall three? What you know, is there an Apex season five? Whatever that season's in, there's a lot involved here that um, that you really start to understand the complexities of marketing a game, developing a game, and the timelines that can prohibit or open up opportunities around uh, additional exposure. So, so, so uh, summarizing there, it's complex. Yeah, I've always thought, man, for, you know, and I could be wrong, but I don't know. I just, I feel like in North America for Battlefield to like, to hit that COD stage or whatever, you know, there's going to have to be, like, I feel like there's going to have to be some third party company that's going to have to come in, throw millions and literally try to start, you know, like a CWL version of the battle of Battlefield almost, and then try to get the support of DICE and EA or however to try to intertwine it. I, I, I don't know. I just keep feeling like there's going to have to be a third party that's going to have to come in to kind of like spark the fire. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think you're right. You know, and so what now you're getting into is more like retention, you know? So yeah, you crank out a game from a development standpoint, you have uh, seasonal updates. So whatever those, you know, whether it's a battle pass or some sort of live service component here that gets people coming back to the game. Uh, but you also need to build communities that continue to promote and play your game well after content is released. And that's where an interesting dynamic with esports comes around. And so esports certainly carries retention to an all new level, right? You have people playing you still have people playing Counter-Strike, you know, uh, early Counter-Strike titles in a competitive fashion. And that's not even supported anymore. So you need to listen to where your audience wants to place their time and provide the tools and the support to, to give them the thrive in that environment. So I think, e I think if EA were to do things right, uh, build the eSports support here, build those competitive scenes, and build an environment in which Battlefield can be played competitively. 
All right. So now, like I said, I don't know how, you know, if you, how, I guess how much you can answer this um, next question, but so, uh, you know, what, what ultimately made you leave, you know, your, your position with EA and everything to go start this new venture with new wave? Yeah, I think that's a good question. Um, and I've been asked that quite a bit internally. Um, I had, I had nothing but amazing experiences at EA. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of positives there with the relationships I built, uh, the, the network that I was able to cultivate with uh, EA, DICE, Respawn, Maxis, uh, you name it. And I'm very, very thankful for my time at EA and the opportunities that, that were provided. Sure, that's the fluff, you know. Let's get down to brass tacks. I mean, there's there's always challenges. Every company has challenges. Every team. Even I see challenges with my new endeavor. Um, but these challenges only shape who you are, they build your character, they give you strength, and they give you perseverance to endure some of the trials going forward. Now, EA and, and the Battlefield franchise came came to an end in my career at a crossroads where I needed to feed my entrepreneurial curiosity. I needed to leverage my, my expertise, my equity that I built over 16 years of being in the gaming industry and be the, be that, be the, hold myself accountable for what I can do, uh, by going out and creating something of my own. Now, yes, there's a lot of emotions mixed there. It's very hard to say, guys, I'm, I'm bouncing out of the family house here. And it was very, I got very emotional when I had to make that announcement to the battlefield community, but I felt very led to this opportunity to, create something that would benefit the gaming industry, benefit the Battlefield community more than I ever could do within the halls of EA. So when I'm managing my own timelines and managing my own vision, I'm able to create platforms and tools that benefit the gaming community uh, to exceptional levels. So I guess uh, Stardust, explain to us, you know, where did the idea for New Wave come from? I know your, you know, I know your partner plays a, uh, you know, a, a big role in, in, in all this in the formation. I know he's not here with us today, unfortunately. But uh, where did the idea come from? I guess, and at what point were you just like, yeah, I'm, I'm like 100% committed to see, trying to see this through. You know, and just kind of talk to us a little bit about that. Sure. So, so again, you know, I had some crossroads, and I'm like, <clears throat> kind of looking for. Uh, for you know some new opportunities and i've always wanted to start up my own thing and so my partner reached out and was like hey um there's a great opportunity here with some founders that uh made a a, a you know some some great money in the canadian cannabis markets and are listening to the movement in esports and they're looking for professionals who have a great background in gaming who are interested in getting into this emerging industry that is esports in North America. Um, and they want to latch on some of our vision and bring in some of the shell funds to actualize against it. And so what we did was we, we, we created new wave holdings. And so like you said earlier in the call, new wave holdings is an esports and competitive gaming investment company. And our sole focus here is to, uh, find companies, products, tools that match our vision, our goals, that are ethical, that are professional, 
and we're going to incubate those to grow them and their their companies into something bigger than uh, than previous to to our collaboration. So we've placed already three investments, uh, and so I, I think this will give give a bit more background and context in, into kind of what we invest in, okay. uh, and one acquisition. So the so the first investment is with a organization called Title, and that's managed by CEO Charlie Watson. Um, Charlie and I resonated right off the bat. We're both hardcore gamers, and I love when companies are are fruitful and led by other hardcore gamers. Um, just from a personal standpoint, because I can talk about games all day. Uh, that's what we're doing now. So, so Charlie started Title, and Title owns Team Lazarus. Team Lazarus has incredible branding. It's very, very prominent. It's uh, it's a, it's this pink phoenix, and they have a diverse roster of uh, of different kind of background players with all sorts of different disciplines. They have a one of the first full women's uh, esports teams. Uh, and they're dominating in a lot of the esports circuits, and they play uh, uh, multiple, uh, you know, games from Madden to Fortnite to to CS, and uh, and, and you know all, all these. They even just announced a, an Apex roster. So it's important for me to uh, to build diversity within our portfolio. So we have this great organization and a team. The second one we placed uh, is a company called Playline. Playline is is founded by uh, the UFC champion Michael Bisping and uh, NBA legend uh, Roy Hibbert. So they both came with their passion and love in daily fantasy sports and created a platform in which sports fans can place daily bets on actual real-life games mm-hmm. and fantasy teams and see some kickback. And what they're doing now is, uh, is opening up into the esports crowd. So uh, that obviously is, is a proper crossover. You know, we know that from a spectator standpoint, if we can engage with, uh, you know, uh, spectator betting, that just adds to the enrichment of an experience of watching a tournament. And then in the third investment we placed, uh, which I'm really excited about, is a company called Even Matchup Gaming. Uh, this is, is led by uh, another hardcore gamer, very proficient CEO, uh, Joe Krabari. Uh, He's based out of Toronto, and he leads uh, Toronto and Tri-State's largest Super Smash Brothers Ultimate uh, tournaments. So he's partnered with Nintendo, partnered with a, a couple other great companies, and he has an event coming up on May 17th and 19th called Get On My Level. Get On My Level is a premier Super Smash Brothers Ultimate tournament. Again, partnered with Nintendo, Red Bull, BenQ, and this is hosted in downtown Toronto with about anywhere from 1,000 to 3,000 people coming out and watching, competing to walk away with all the guts and glory of being the best Super Smash uh, uh, player in the Toronto area, and you'll be able to watch online. Anyway, so so detailing here, um, we have three verticals that we uh, placed investment in that's all very diverse. We have a team, we have a platform, we have an events-based company, and then we also made an acquisition in Thunderbolt Studios, and Thunderbolt is our development arm, where we're going to start syncing some of our resources to creating esports-centric tools and solutions. So, if you look at our portfolio, um, I know I'm being long-winded here. No, that's good, man. Keep going. Yeah. If, if you look at our portfolio, our objective here is to create something that is diverse, 
uh, that's durably economic because we know esports is growing uh, and it can take a left turn and just as quick as it could take a right turn. And we're developing something sustainable. So when we complete our upcoming RTO, which is a reverse takeover, we'll essentially be public. And so the gaming community, esports communities, the public and investors can buy into New Wave and own some shares. And so as we grow our portfolio, our val- our valuation increases and people start seeing great returns, we all benefit from the success uh, that these companies continue to thrive from New Wave's investments. And ultimately, a success in esports is is only going to help the esports industry. Um, so so on that, I'm very I'm very excited with what we're doing. I can't wait to roll this out to uh, yourself, the Battlefield community, and the rest of the gaming and esports communities. Uh, we believe in what we're doing, and uh, we're only here to innovate the esports industry and, and open up new opportunities for people. That's awesome, brother. Um, I mean, it's pretty impressive, man. You guys are really young. You've already got three investments and stuff. Sounds like you guys are, are growing pretty quick, man. Yeah, we are. Yeah. <laughs> If you look at the timeline here, we did this in the course of three to four months, and we moved so fast. Uh, but that's that's the way money moves, man. You, you've got to show that you could take a capital and that you could put it to work, and that you can use your expertise as industry veterans to 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 vet uh, opportunities, uh, analyze companies, analyze some of these these products, and then place that money. So that that shows confidence in both investors, but also our upcoming public shareholders mm-hmm. uh, that we're moving money. We're progressing the company and we're putting their investment to good use. Yeah. Well, let's let's get into that a little bit. You know, I'm sure there's people listening. Obviously, if, you know, people that own esports teams. I have quite a bit of people that, you know, follow uh, this podcast that, you know, they want tips and advice. And of course, you know, investment and getting that that money so they can, you know, obviously fulfill their dreams of, you know, going to land and doing all their stuff, being pro gamers, whatever. Um, I guess explain to us what is it that you guys as New Wave are looking for when, when you're, you know, vetting an investment? What are some of the key things that, you know, you've got to see before it's like, hey, this is this is something we'll consider? Yeah, first and foremost, uh, we listen to the landscape, uh, and and that determines you know where we need to place our investment. Um, so that so obviously we we align internally. What is the verticals that we need to you to tap into and add to our portfolio that either uh, builds and strengthens other portfolios? So building those synergies between uh, the different companies or diversifying further. Uh, but secondly, and and probably one of the more important requirements is. Does this company uh, share the same values, goals, and objectives as New Wave? And like I said before, are they ethical? Do they have the same morals as us? Are they professional? I think in a in a very young industry within North America, certainly mature in Asia and Europe, it's important to have those same values. We need to be on the same page because that's going to affect the outcome of that company's growth, which in turn affects New Wave and in turn affects our public shareholders and our investors. Um, so it's important that we align on that because inversi- uh, inclusivity and diversity is important in gaming. You know, and I'm so glad that we made strides as, as a community in gaming that 
we're very tolerant of people's lifestyles, no matter what kind of things they're into and their backgrounds. It doesn't matter. You're a gamer, you're good at the game, or you're, you're, you're learning. We adopt all sorts of different lifestyles. So that's the second point. But if you want to look at the third, which is uh, a bit more clinical, you know, uh, kind of surgical, is uh, are these companies looking for growth? Are they looking for? Uh, are, are they in an incubative uh, in, uh, stage in the company that all they need is capital money to grow, or are they in a great spot already and they just need money to scale into new uh, audiences, new regions, or do they need money to uh, fund an upcoming marketing campaign? So we really dive into the back end. You know, what's their financial runway? Where are they sitting in with their revenue? Um, you know, is it a risky investment or is it a, a bulletproof one? Uh, and then we take all that into consideration, all of those three points, and then we make our, our conclusion. And so, you know, running the previous three companies through, you know, some of those exercises uh, has been very beneficial to us and allows us to set expectations, again, internally, but also with our, our shareholders. So, um I, I'm curious to get your your answer on this, Dan. What has been some of the, I guess you could, you know, and if you want to talk some about the struggles as well, I mean, that's always good. I, I think more people uh, get value when when they hear about what's been going wrong and how you're having, having to deal with some of that stuff when it comes to, you, you know, new wave and the business. But I kind of want you to talk just about what the transition's been like from, you know, being the employee, obviously, and we, you, you kind of shed a little bit of light on this to now becoming, you know, an entrepreneur, you know, you're, you're owning a business, running a business and all that. What's that transition been like? And I guess, how are you, um, you know, I mean, what, what have been some of the, the easy things, the good things, maybe some stuff that was unexpected that, you know, you're kind of having to deal with. If you could shed some light on that. That'd be cool. Yeah. I mean, if I had to summarize one word, educational, it's been incredibly educational. Um, you know, I, I come from a pedigree of, of gaming, and, and that's where I bring my expertise as a gaming marketer, as someone who, who knows how to, uh, you know, market a, a message to a listening audience and find new audiences. So making that transition from hardcore gaming marketing in the publishing world, working with developers and showcasing the game in the light that we want. And moving to an investment company that is very much still in the world of gaming has been educational, has been uh, rounding my abilities as an entrepreneur in ways that I can never fathom. So, uh, you know, uh, one incidence here is learning the investment in capital markets world. Completely new to me. And I've never claimed that I was a, a pro in that. In fact, I had very limited knowledge about that. But diving right into here and, and with the backing of our founders, uh, uh, Peter Cunningham, John Dudney, our president, Trumbull Fisher, has been instrumental in helping me understand how the investment and capital markets worlds work. So I regularly go to Toronto. I'm there on Bay Street. I'm rubbing shoulder, you know, uh, elbows with uh, some of the biggest giants in the uh, Canadian uh, stock world. And just learning how to pose a gaming company, leverage our expertise as as industry veterans in gaming and esports, has been very very educational in how we build our business vision and our plan and how we market New Wave. So um, I came into it as solely a gaming professional, and now three to four months into it, 
I'm a gaming and strong business professional and know, you know, how to, how to move money and how to, um, how to leverage some of our resources and strengths in, in the capital markets world. It's been, it's been incredible. And so with that, you know, you do have your challenges. You have your challenges of, okay, how do I, how do I say something without, uh, potentially affecting a portfolio piece or, or ultimately when we're public without negatively impacting the share price. Um, so those are all going to be challenges going forward. But um, honestly, up to this point, we haven't had any major, uh, you know, any major red flags or challenges. It's all been uh, positive success. So I am looking forward to those challenges because, like I said, Come. that shapes me as a professional. Yeah, yeah. Those those uh, those challenges are most certainly come. But um, yeah, Dan, it sounds like it sounds like man, your your transition's been uh, pretty seamless. Obviously, it is centered around gaming, which makes always makes things easier, don't it? And uh, yeah, you're just learning the business side of things. Um, so you know, as far as the company itself, I mean, do you guys have a lot of staff at this time? Are you hiring right now? What's going on? So we have a, a pretty much a, a team of uh, of leadership positions, you know, between uh, CEO, CMO, president, CFOs, all the C's, um, and some additional help around uh, advisors. Uh, you know, we have one great advisor, Neil Duffy. He's very prominent in the collegiate scenes in Canada. Very excited to work with him. He's a diamond in the rough. Uh, love the guy. Um, Right now, we're not we're not actively seeking employment because we're still in a growth phase as well. Yeah. Uh, but once we complete this RTO, there's going to be new opportunities where we need to dial up in a lot of different sectors in the company, whether it's marketing and communications to operations, HR. Like as we grow, there's opportunities for people to get involved with this this beast that we're we're creating. So at the moment, I think we're about. Mm, anywhere from 12 to 15 members strong between uh, Toronto and LA, as well as UK and, and South America. Um, so we're in a great position now, and we'll see how we grow in the future. So I've heard you mention Canada a lot, and I, I wasn't—I was thinking about this. I, I should have asked it right away. But is this—is this, this going to be a Canadian company? Or are you guys going to be in the U.S. like that, or what's going on? So the leadership team on the the CMO CEO level is based here in Hollywood, um, and we and we like that because of the gaming industry contacts that we have within L.A., San Francisco, Austin, New York, you name it. You know, U.S. based. Um, but you drive a good question: Is this a Canadian company? Um, on paper, yes, it is. So we're based out of Cana uh, Canada because we're going to list on the Canadian Stock Exchange, the CSE. Um, and so, so going uh, RTO or a public offering within uh, within the TSX, which is the, the the Toronto Stock Exchange, more specifically the TSXV, which is the venture uh, capital <laughs> stock, is is much easier than going IPO in the U.S. You know, Uber is finally going IPO because it's very strict requirements, where Canada allows for a much more easy, fluid, flexible. Uh, uh, entry point because they they do see um, uh, you know when budding companies are trying to go IPO or or through RTO it benefits the Canadian uh, economy so yeah. we're going on the CSC we're going to be listed on TSXV I don't have any any windows or time frames yet we're still going through our RTO completion uh, but I'm proud to be 
uh, a Canadian-based company. Awesome. Um, just a couple more questions here about New Wave, and then we're going to get into a little bit of more esports talking in general. Um, are you guys so like? You know, I, I just just picture I'm I'm the average Joe, Dan. I'm the average Joe. I've I've heard about your company. You know, I'm trying to start you know something in esports. You know, it sounds like you guys right at this stage are kind of just like cherry picking your investments or like like for somebody like myself who owns a company, am I going to have the opportunity to like sit down with you or somebody with your company and, and actually pitch ideas and like, you know, you guys actually take like, kind of, I don't know, kind of like a, a shark tank type thing or whatever, you know, where I can actually present something and, and you obviously you determine if it's worth an investment or not is that is that are those opportunities that are going to exist for people or is that not how this really works i just want to get clarified on that no 100 so so i'm glad you asked that so uh not only are we proactively hunting for opportunities you know so not only am i going out and networking at, at like gdc ces uh investor seminars and 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 events and or across linkedin me proactively reaching out but we're always open to pitch proposal conversations um you know we we want to have a, a very open dialogue we're always reachable you know you can always reach out to me via the website or my email or social and we actually generate a a, a lot of different leads just by people saying hey i saw you uh, and new wave on say like esports insider article and i and i've got a company that's looking for investment or we're we're trying to scale more into north america and we've seen great success across europe so yes if if you as 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 someone who has a great idea or uh, a budding company in it in an incubation stage or something that's already established and is looking for investment i am open to it i want to have those conversations because great ideas and great companies come from every facet of, of life and, and everywhere that we have our, our fingers and, you know, kind of different pies. So I'm an open door. If you've got awesome. a great idea, I want to hear. On, on that note, uh, Dan, go ahead and just let everybody know, uh, you know, cause there might be some people listening that obviously this is extremely interesting to, they may want to hit you up, go ahead and just share, uh, where everybody, you know, all the places they can find you on your socials and everything. So they have that. Sure. Yeah. So our company website is uh, uh, newwave.holdings. Um, so you can go there. You'll you can learn about uh, what we're doing. Some of the obviously the three investments that I detailed our acquisition. We have a blog there, which we're sharing uh, some of the movement in, in new wave. But we're also across all the social. So you can find us on anywhere that you engage, uh, you know, with your friends and your family and other companies. Uh, but then I personally as well, if you want to go straight to me, I think the best route is reaching out to me either on LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, I, I check my social daily and uh, I'm always open for, uh, you know, a, a cheerful chat or uh, potentially listening on on what, you know, companies are, are coming out. So it's just at Dan Mitri, Daniel Mitri. Uh, uh, yeah, the Twitter is at Dan Mitri. All right. Awesome, guys. Make sure you note that down and. and- if you've got an idea, a company, man, or you've been doing something, you're pretty passionate about it. I know there's a lot of you out there. Uh, hit up Dan here. And, uh, you know, this is this is a great opportunity. You know, it's not every day that, you know, uh, you know, your everyday folks in, in gaming and esports get to 
you know, hear about an investment company, you know, most of that stuff's pretty, pretty foreign, pretty, you know, not as out there, but this is, this is a great opportunity. So make sure you guys take advantage of this. Um, I'm just trying to think here before we wrap up with, uh, is there, is there anything else you want to mention about new wave Dan? And, you know, um, for, for anybody listening, I know you're going to have a lot of people listening to this at your event and whatnot. Um, is there anything else you want to mention? Yeah, um, uh, I think we pretty much exhausted a lot of the touch points, but we have a great year ahead of, ahead of us. Um, we have several events that we're going to be planning. Um, so, so no matter where you're at, hopefully you're local to some of those events. We'll be obviously publishing the details across the website and social. I'd love to meet you in person. You know, let's have let's have a a drink. Let's let's grab a bite. Um, if even if you don't have a company that you're looking for investment. Um, let's just talk, you know, let's, let's talk about games. I'm, I'm, I, I love the, the gaming industry and I'm a community member myself. Um, I'm an open door. Uh, so I hope you're excited with the opportunity that I've detailed and I'm more than happy to meet in person or, or online and, uh, provide a bit more detail on what's happening. Awesome. I, and I do want to mention or ask one more thing, you know, because you have so much experience coming from, you know, being an employee, we're not talking about new wave here. We're talking about, you know, all the years you, you, you basically got to, to work in gaming and esports. <clears throat> Cause I know we have some people that are trying to get jobs in esports in general. What would be, I guess, a couple pieces of advice for any of those folks that, um, you know, what they, what they need to do to get their foot in the door, just if, if they want to go be a, an employee somewhere, EA or wherever? Yeah, yeah. So um, you're talking esports and gaming, right? So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. Kind of- that's a tough one. So the industry, relatively speaking, is, is still pretty small, you know, compared to other industries in, in the sense that um, if – if you're networked, it's much easier to break into opportunities and kind of talk up your proficiencies and your skills. But my my piece of advice is um, find out what, what side of the industry you want to be on first. Do you want to be in the marketing publishing side of things? Um, you know, and all the publishing services that go with that, whether it's, you know, uh, uh, global marketers to paid advertisers or uh, brand uh, professionals. Or do you want to be on the development side, game designers, animators, um, uh, programmers? So first determine, you know, do you want to be in the which side of the fence you want to be on and then start working on your skills. So a lot of us had to start somewhere and we had to break in at an entry level. I started video game testing and then I was able to break into, you know, community management. That was a good crossover. Uh, but if you're looking to be more on the, the development side, uh, really start honing your craft and your skill. Educate yourself. Whether you need to dive into Maya or whether you need to, you know, brush up on your C plus plus skills or or anything that's related to that field, and become an expert in that. Pull your portfolio together if you're looking on the development side. If you're looking to get into, say, community uh, management, start managing your own communities. Like you know, you do very well at at the TE five, and that's that's part of your resume showing that hey, I can pull together. Um, uh, great campaigns and bring people around and 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 gr- create an audience and met market to them. So what you want to do is is build equity in yourself and build network connections. Get out there, uh, go to E3, go to GDC and PAX, and and start 
creating relationships with with other people in the industry because it's a word of mouth industry. It really is. Um, your experience as an individual will certainly have more weight than education on paper. Now, I'm not saying that you should go quit college because experience is more important. No, um, you know, education is very, very important to building a foundation of who you are and qualifying who you are. But experience and network also helps with getting your name out there. What are your thoughts on, I mean, obviously, we everybody understands the importance of networking. And, and you know, Dan, this is for, for my listeners. I, I go into very specific context on on networking and, and kind of like tips and so forth, because like I've always and I've shared this many, many times and I'll share it again. You know, for somebody like myself personally, I'm I'm very introverted in nature, and it shocks a lot of people. They're like, "What? You know, you, you like to talk about like no, I'm <laughs> I'm extremely introverted. Like, you know, I'm not that type of guy that's you know comfortable. You know, at at the bar scene. You know what I'm saying? And everyone's just chit chatting around. There's you know, hundred people. You know, it's just loud as crap. You know, and and you're trying to talk and whatnot. And I know there's a lot of people like that. Um, and I, and obviously Dan, you, you, you seem very extroverted. I could be wrong, but you know what, I guess, what are some simple practical pieces of advice? Like for somebody that's going to PAX or South by Southwest or whatever, like any of these conventions and, and events on, you know, just, you know, how, how do you break the ice with these people? And I'm, I'm getting real practical right now, but this is, this is good stuff. I think it's really important for, to get other perspectives because I know a lot of people struggle and they're afraid and they, and they fear, um, you know, going to some of these events just because of the, the social anxiety, I guess. I just want to get your take on that. Um, and, and maybe what are some things you would recommend as people on both ends of the spectrum? Well, first I have a confession to make. I'm actually very introverted. Um, I fake my extrovert. I fake my outgoing. Hey, me and you are just alike, dude. We were just oh. alike, dude. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, like you, you come across as, as very put together, you know how to carry yourself with, with your words and, and you know how to articulate yourself. But I know you, I know the kind of person you are. You would much rather just be at home quiet, <laughs> and, and doing what you know is best yeah. for you on the same way. Yeah. But you know, we, we kind of, we put on, uh, I wouldn't say a mask. I wouldn't say we're faking anything. It's like a switch. You know, I try to yeah. tell it's like, it's like, we just know how to turn a switch on and just get into like business mode or whatever, you know? Yeah. But that takes practice, you know, and, and that's taken me, it's, it's just taken me 15 years to, to nail how to be a Jekyll and Hyde. Um, so if I were to give some practical advice, um, you know, if you don't have the confidence going out and networking, um, that's fine. What's ultimately important is being a genuine person. No one likes a fake. No one likes a fraud. And no one likes anybody who's so overly confident that they're embellishing on their proficiencies and their skills. Be true to yourself. People like, people, especially in the gaming industry, the more That's a problem in esports right now, dude. That's mm -hmm. a big problem. Everyone's trying to freaking, freaking, uh, you know, puff themselves up a bit too much, I think. And that works to a certain extent, but when you're looking at the long-term positions, the long-term relationships you're building, you, you can only keep a facade up for so long. You need to be genuine to yourself. Base your confidence in what you know and who makes you who are you, 
because your unique personality is going to differentiate you from all the other competitors, all the other candidates that you may be running up against. And that's the way I, I've always adopted. I'm not going to fake who I am. I'm Dan Mitri. And if you don't like who Dan Mitri is, well, I'm sorry, that's your loss. But I am very comfortable in who I am and what I offer. I don't have all the answers. I, I, and, I, and I'm not going to be you know, the best at, at everything, but I'm good at what I do and I'm confident in that. And that resonates with people. You know, <clears throat> guys listening, and, and I, I've, I know I've stated this before, but when you go to some of these events and if you struggle, um, you know, in the big crowd rooms and whatnot, you know, really try to, to single out a couple people. You know, even if you go to a lot of these events, I think it's, it's a very practical piece of advice to say, hey, you know, go there with a goal in, in mind. Like you want to really meet three to five people and go super deep with them, you know, try to really get to know three to five people, take them out to a lunch or something, getting that one-on-one. Because I know for me, you know, one-on-one is really where I excel, mm-hmm. um, you know, when I have, especially that face-to-face talk. And, I, you know, that, that's going to be a great way for a lot of people because if you if you guys are are really targeting like, people that are legit they've got and you can tell people that they've got big networks versus the ones that don't and you get in real deep with the people that have massive networks but they're going to kind of serendipitously you're, you're going to grow your network naturally because they're going to say hey oh yeah here's this guy i met you know and they're going to naturally introduce you to all these other people and now you're coming in with a you know a more uh you know for I mean, what I'm trying to say is like when you get introduced to somebody versus like just naturally cold, cold, basically like walking up to them and saying, Hey, I'm Dan, it's a different feel. And it's a lot easier. And that's, that's, the, that's the position that I want people to know that if, if, if you struggle with just that natural cold walking up to somebody you've never met before versus getting in with somebody doing all the hard work with just a fewer amount of people but with big networks big very social people you know they're gonna all they're gonna naturally introduce you and you're gonna be able to get in there a lot easier and grow a lot faster if that makes sense you know absolutely Um, i think that's a great piece of advice if you really want to get prescriptive there um yeah that one-on-one relations less pressure um, you can ha- you can you know build a, a very intimate conversation uh, rather than being in front of a crowd. You feel like you know you're up on stage. That can get very intimidating. Um, I-, I think you have a great piece you know advice. I'd love to hear a podcast just on that. You know from uh, coming from well, your- you know he, my biggest issue with the the big social events, and it's not that. Like and when I'm speaking, guys, not that I'm afraid to, to get up in stage or actually speak publicly. I mean, I'll do it. It's just that, like, when you're in a room with 50 people and everybody's chatting, you're just—it's—it's it's like a competition to buy for attention. You know, everyone's just you know coming into the circle, you know, and all this pulling this guy away. So it's like you're trying to rush a conversation. It's just not coming natural in a lot of sense. You know, people are just kind of there to throw their agenda out and that's it. You know, there's not really any rapport being built. And I think that's just one of the, that's one of my biggest issues with when it comes to those settings. So, you know, I, I try to really, you know, just to adapt to, to how, you know, identify who are the key players or who are some key players and like try to really go in with them, provide them value. I think that's another big misnomer. Nobody's really providing value when they're networking. You guys are just trying to, you know, take, 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 take. Y'all got to get out of that mindset because you're never going to build meaningful relationships like that at all. Right, right. 
But anyways, enough on networking. Good stuff. Let's get into esports. So, Dan, what are your thoughts on mobile esports? Okay, I got a guy, Taylor Salazzo. You probably never heard of him before. He works with ESL. He's a good friend of mine. Um, he is over there, mobile esports stuff. And, you know, he, me and him, were, I actually interviewed him quite a while ago, a couple months ago. And uh, it, it's really interesting to see the and hear about the development of mobile you know, uh, esports. I just, I guess, kind of want to get your take on it. What do you, how do you feel that it's coming along? And is this, is it going to be a big player uh, in the esports place pretty soon? So, first of all, I very much know Taylor Salazzo, Sir Wallen. You do? Okay. Well, then, we're yes. How cool, oh, cool. Look at that. Our world just got smaller. Okay. That's what I'm saying, man, the gaming industry is so small. Um, no, Taylor and I go way back. Um, he was working at uh, a company in which they were developing. Um, uh, streaming tools and trying to make things much more simple. It was with a company called HubTag at the time mm. uh, before he moved over to, to ESL. In yeah. fact, I just saw him a couple weekends ago or a couple weeks ago up at the Burbank studios. Uh, love Taylor. So I, I need to check Shout out. Shout out to you, buddy, if you're listening. Yeah, thanks, yeah. Taylor. Um, no, but to your point, so mobile. Mobile's on the rise, man. You saw at uh, IEM Catalyst that their you know uh, mobile was w- one of their first uh, uh, mobile tournaments was debuted. In fact, Noble Team Noble played against uh, Team Lazarus uh, and had had a great uh, run there. Look, mobile in the U.S. and North America specifically is starting to roll out 5G networks. 5G networks are going to allow for faster download speeds. So as a viewer, you're going to be able to watch high-quality tournament broadcasts anywhere you want. You're going to be interact. You can interact with all the different, um, whether it's like Maestro overlays or any other chat interactivities and Twitch extensions, much easier and faster. You have you have games like Fortnite that has that has completely dominated and and seen success with the cross-platform opportunities you have people playing Fortnite on the mobile getting home playing on you know their triple a uh devices uh whether it's console or pc uh and so you're always connected you always have a user base playing at every single moment that they can and so then with the increase of device speeds you know uh whether it's uh, an iphone or an android based uh uh device these these games are going to get fa- or excuse me devices are going to get faster and faster they're going to have more horsepower and can push the graphical fidelity that these games require to have good experiences so you have advancements in hardware you have advancements in network speeds and these are all going to be strategic places uh, especially with Nintendo Sony and Microsoft opening up their uh, their server access for cross platform play um, you're going to have companies developing more games that reaches more audiences, and esports is going to grow alongside that. It's very exciting. We all should be very in tune with us with what's happening in the mobile space. So, do you think mobile, like, like, because to me, you know, the mobile is is from from what I'm what I would imagine is the most scalable of everything. Because I mean, God, how many people have? phones i mean do, do you think that's going to end up being the biggest the biggest esports you know versus consoles and pcs or what um i'm not gonna i'm not gonna push that out of the realm of possibility but um if you really want to break it down okay yes so mobile has bigger audiences 
Um, you have many, many more, I mean, like exponentially more mobile devices than there are consoles and, and high-end PC players out there. So yes, that does open up to new audiences. But when you break it down to skills and proficiency or even down to marketable partnerships, you know, you still have big gargantuans that is Microsoft, Sony. Um, sure, they have mobile sectors as well. But you have big PC head, you know, head companies like, um, uh, you, you know, whether it's like Logitech and the peripherals, um, uh, NVIDIA, AMD, that are still very much invested in the expansion of PC products. Yeah. Uh, so you have a lot more money in those still. Um, and you have that's that that is their base product. That is how they're building their businesses and their revenue. So I'm not I, my prediction is that mobile will not overtake PC and console centric esports. It's only going to add to the experience. Yeah. In fact, it might get to a point where there's parity uh, because of the audience adoption. Uh, but it but in a healthy ecosystem, you would want mobile, PC, and console to thrive uh, in parallel to each other. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about virtual reality? I guess you know. I'm you know. I know we're pro it's probably like a twenty twenty five year type realism from now. But like, how do you see VR playing into gaming? It's I mean, obviously we've seen it in the gaming, but like it's not it's not like here here. You know what I'm saying? And then like going into esports, I'm curious to know what you feel about about VR. Yeah. So we've seen a lot of advancements within VR over you know the past five years. Um, it went from something that was unwieldy, uncostly, uh, hard to produce in mass quantities because of the uh, consumer adoption of you know a $700 plus headset with a very limited uh, access to content to the point that we're at now. I think one of the biggest successors or two of the biggest successors has been the Oculus and the PlayStation VR unit. And the reason why is because you're able to get the product, the, the head unit itself, down to a, uh, a price that was attractive to consumers. Uh, PlayStation VR was able to open up to a much bigger audience because of the install base with the PlayStation 4 Pro. Um, and then you have content. So you need content for people to digest. So you, I think that's one, been one of the biggest limiting factors is it's a it's a it takes a lot to create VR content. There's a lot of development resources there with a very small user base that's going to offset or break even the development costs to produce something like that. So content has been lacking in VR. In order to, to continue going forward and, and you know just listening to the industry, listening to some of the trends, we need to get VR to a much more attractive price point to be a household item yeah. in 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 you know across the world, the technology needs to advance. So everything down to speeds, to hardware, to the resolutions that are much more easier on people, so we're not getting sick in some of these experiences. And then the content needs to be there. You have you know everything from playable content, from first-person shooters to racing, to entertainment around movies. Uh, you know, uh, virtual reality interactive experiences. And there's a lot of road work to get there, but um, you have a lot of big advancements. You know, uh, we'll see where Stadia takes things with streaming content. 
We'll see what Google does. And if they, you know, restoke up some sort of project around Google Glasses. Um, but in order to get there, like I said, you know, we just need more attractive price points. We need uh, uh, much more slim designs and head units, and we need the content there. You know, I, I, I have visions of, like, you know, an arena. Like, I, I picture Battlefield. Let's just use Battlefield for this example. And, like, you know, people, you know, you fill up an NBA arena, 20,000, whatever, and, like, you witness – I don't know, like a 32v32, like virtual battle actually happening in a virtual world or something, like where you're actually like in the map or whatever and like fighting and stuff, dude. I, I don't know, like I feel like that. That's just like would mind boggle me. No, that's intense, dude. Can you imagine some of the plays? Like, as a as an athlete, <laughs> I was if I was able to play uh, in a tournament with VR experience, I could be so much faster. So I can independently move, say like an FPS game, I can independently move my uh, my reticle from my view. So I could be looking in my peripheral while running down an alleyway and, and providing suppressive fire to see oncoming threats from alleyway to the left while helping my squad with, you know, some sort of LMG spread. Like yeah. the, the implications of strategy here are, are almost limitless. Um, then from a, a, a viewership standpoint, being able to, say, map heartbeats and some of the elevated stress of a of an athlete to, you know, some of the uh, the cor- the corneal eye movement and what that may translate into next plays, or or being able to provide a, an actual point of view perspective on, say, like a, you know, um, uh, a gameplay feed is is awesome to see from a perspective a spectator standpoint. So. I think we're a little, a, a little, you know, several years away from some sort of first, a big, huge adopted VR tournament experience. Yeah. Uh, I think we're on our way if we can. So if we can figure out a way to do it. Yeah. So excited, man. So all right. So last question here in esports, then we're gonna get ready to wrap this up, get into our fire round here. Um, where's I guess what's the where do you see the the hidden gem right now in esports? Maybe that up and coming thing that you know people aren't talking about. I guess the opportunity is what I'm trying to say. What's that? What's the hidden opportunity right now in esports that uh, is not being talked about? Well, you know, um, we look at Asia. Asia has uh, a good twenty years on us. You know, um, they have a very uh, very dense esports scene. This is much more mature. Europe is just behind them. In North America, relatively speaking, we're very still young, uh, but we have got it to a point that is mature in a business sense. You have just recently, you know, Will Smith and and his fund that uh, that placed an investment in Gen G and specific teams. You have, you know, advancements with Cloud Nine going over and, and creating an Apex roster. Um, you have a lot of you know G two esports or like. You know, Nade shot with 100 Thieves bringing in Drake as as a, a part owner. So you have a lot of movement with money. Now, uh, where do I see, you know, some of the opportunities coming in? Uh, it really depends on what sector in the esports you're most interested in. So if you're an athlete looking to uh, create a team and getting into a league is going to be uh, one of the biggest opportunities. There's a lot of movement and money coming in. You have big teams putting big dollars behind uh, their organizations. So, you know, that goes into salaries and uh, marketing endeavors all the way 
uh, to, to you know, some of the sponsorship revenues coming in. Um, and then you have, obviously, the tools and the platforms. So as an influencer or uh, at-home athlete, uh, continuing to diversify in Twitch and YouTube content as well as any other new platforms that are coming out. Um, or if you're, you know, if you're starting up your own team and you're looking for investment opportunities, dude, there, there's a lot of things happening here. I know I've been, I kind of vague in my response, but what I'm trying to detail here is that we're still very young in esports in North America. We have to listen to the movement in the landscape to see where dynamically it's going to land. Um, and, and there's a lot of opportunities. So listen to what's happening, read up on blogs, read up on community trends and, uh, and listen to where that's heading. Awesome. All right. Well, guys, we're going to get into our fire round session here, have a little bit of fun with Dan and we will wrap this up, man. Dan, you've been doing such a great job, man. Um, I'm gonna hit you with a couple quick, you know, a couple cool questions here. So you ready? Ready to Let's roll? Do it. Yeah. Uh, first question, are you single right now? No, I have a girlfriend. She's awesome. She's in uh, the video game industry as well. Uh, she actually produces uh, live streams for Anthem at the moment. All you ladies listening, just, <laughs> you know, Dan ain't on the market, but just keep tabs, brother, man. <laughs> what can happen. All right, what's your biggest pet peeve? Biggest pet peeve? Oh, um, standing in the doorway when I'm trying to get out of a crumbling building in Battlefield? Get out of the doorway. <laughs> yeah, dude, I got you. Um, what's your worst habit right now? Woo, too much coffee. Um, I've been drinking coffee this whole podcast. Uh, and that kind of help that that affects my sleep. So I need to I need to dial back on the coffee. How many cups a day? Or yeah, my wife's a lot worse. So. Oh All right. right. <laughs> All right. What's the what? What would you consider the worst thing you've ever spent money on? Oh man, um, I spent a lot of hor- I made a lot of horrible decisions with my money. Uh, that just like really sticks in. Oh uh, man, I mean, I'm, I'm talking on a personal level, so obviously it's going to be a lot of passion things. Um, dude, man, I'm trying to think like. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm pretty fiscally responsible. I'm trying to think of a good example. Maybe just when I was young. It's so proper you know? way you said that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, when I was younger, I was a bit more, um, uh, you know, I, I, was, I wasn't quite cognizant of money spends. So maybe it was just kind of like lavish uh, outings and, and doing crazy vacations when maybe I, I couldn't afford it. Uh, but I've always been pretty fiscally responsible. I think that's pretty important if you're running an investment company. <laughs> Yeah. So no, no one thing. No, yeah, I, I wish I could answer that. Yeah, no, I, I've been pretty responsible. All right. Um, what is your favorite game of all time? Favorite game of all time is Super Mario Brothers three, hands down, and I love mm-hmm. Tanuki Mario. Mm-hmm. I love that answer. It's awesome. Um, console or PC? I think that's pretty self-explanatory for you. But we'll see. What's your answer? Console. No, just kidding. PC. PC, man. I'm 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 pro console, by the way. Oh, okay. I mean, look, man. Uh, RTX on PC. It's the way to go. I know, dude. All right, man. Last question. If you were on your deathbed right now, Dan, you're on your deathbed. You're gonna die today. You're dying today, Dan. Okay. 
and you have one last chance to broadcast a message to the entire world with basically like your last words, your last thoughts, what would it be? Yeah, this is dark, man. You really went to a dark place. Um, I think about this a lot, actually. Uh, it's important. It is important. And I don't want to sound cliche, but love. You know, there's there's a lot of hate in this world. Um, there's a lot of reasons to hate each other. You know, whether it's religious background, uh, your sexual orientation, those are none of that is uh, n- none of that is is OK. Um, we need to unify as people. Um, you know, we need to stop hating each other based off of personal preferences. We need to stop hurting each other verbally, physically, emotionally. The only way that we're going to make the world a better place is through tolerance and ultimately love. And love is obviously a, a, a umbrella term, uh, but there's a lot of there's a lot of nuances in love, and that is patience, that's kindness and understanding. And this is something that no one has perfected. Um, this is something that we have a lifelong challenge ahead of us of adapting and improving upon ourselves uh, and, and, and ultimately dying to ourselves and our own selfish desires and our own viewpoints and accepting other people's I, I, you know, ideologies and, and walks of life. So um, if I was on my deathbed, it would be exercise love in every single aspect of your life because the positive energy that you put out is the positive energy that's going to be returned back to you. The universe just unfolds itself. You know, Dan, I ask this question very strategically. It's not just like I I ask it out of the blue to everybody I interview. You know, most people, if I were to ask them why do they truly, you know, really why are you doing what you're doing, you know? What is your purpose? You know, most people, you know, they'll, they'll deliver a real vague answer, and most people don't even know, not truly, you know? But when I ask that question, it brings out most usually most of the time it brings out the true why, you know, <laughs> and that is, you know, when you when you just kind of think back on that, you know, you're talking about love Well, everything you're doing with your companies, your business and all that. If it ain't boiling down to that, when, when you die, that's that that's that's what it's all going to be meaningful. You know, if you're if you were not pushing that cause through all the stuff that you're doing in your life, you know, and that's my thing to everybody listening. If you're going to answer that question, you know, if you were on your deathbed today, you have one last message to deliver to the world. Most of the people, most of the time you're going to, you're going to tell people what it is that you truly want to see, you know, and how you truly feel. And that is what you need to be replicating on your everyday life. You know, when you wake up, you know, rather you're you're working job or you're doing a business or whatever you're doing, am I actually fulfilling what I want to see? You know, is this actually meaningful in that sense? And I think when people break it down to that level, you know, it's 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 so much more empowering for you to do what you're doing. So Yeah, absolutely. Look, man, my motivator is not money. Money is a facilitator. Yeah, it, make, it makes certain things in life easy. My motivator is not fame. Um, I don't I don't care about being, you know, on the front of Forbes or, you know, the, the top entrepreneur of the year. If it happens, great. That's a great exposure and, and, and messaging and marketing vehicle. But when it boils down to it, what I do with my company, what I've done in gaming, what I do with my music is to share it is to is to make the world a better place. And I hope through New Wave, through my time in gaming, 
it has opened up new opportunities for communities, for members of gaming and esports to thrive and and build brands of themselves. So, you know, I take immense pride when I see, say, a YouTuber or a, or a Twitch streamer come around and say, Dan, I've quit my job in banking because the opportunities that you've given me and being able to either have access to exclusive content coming out to a Game Changer event or coming up with my new company, investing in a company that can give proper returns and open up dreams and opportunities I've never seen before. That's what keeps me going year after year. And that's what keeps me go going when money comes in or money goes out. And it keeps me going when someone, either, whether wants to talk about me or not, that's the underlying message. And, and in that is, is my love for that. So um, when, I do, when, when I leave this world, whether prematurely or through natural causes, I hope that's what I impart, that you know, Dad, Dan was a facilitator of making dreams come true. He was also a battlefield god. <laughs> We're not going to forget that. battlefield god. <laughs> he was a battlefield god. Awesome stuff. Well, damn, man, listen, thank you so much for being on the T5 Life today. For those of you listening, uh, if you could do me a huge, huge favor, if you're on Apple Podcasts, uh, if you could leave us a rating and just leave a comment if you like it, if you don't like it, it doesn't matter to me which one, but just, you know, let us know what you think. Some feedback's always appreciated. You can always hit us up uh, on Facebook or on Twitter at the T5 Life. And just leave us a comment. If there's things that I'm not doing well, let me know. Or if there's things more you want to see, I'm always open to feedback, guys. So I hope to hear from you guys. I hope you guys go follow Dan here on his socials. Follow New Wave Holdings as well on Instagram. Do you guys have a Twitter and Facebook as well for that company? Absolutely. You, you, yeah, you'll find the links on the uh, website. Yeah, yeah. And we'll have the links in the description here for the podcast. I'll have it all in there so you guys can just check, uh, click that and go follow him. Uh, follow the company and I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode Dan do you got any last shout outs you want to give before we close this out no I want to thank you very much for hosting me and I look forward to coming back awesome stuff all right and good luck too by the way uh, what, is it this Thursday or next Thursday you guys have your your event in Toronto is that yeah, next Wednesday so yeah um I, I, yeah so I'm not sure when when the podcast is going out but if prior to Wednesday and you're in the Toronto area uh, uh, you know, I'd love to meet up. Just sh shoot me a message on my personal Twitter and maybe we can find some time and say hi. Awesome stuff. All right. Well, guys, until next time, we'll see you later. Bye. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode as much as I did, guys. Please be sure if you are listening on Apple Podcasts to rate and review the podcast. It only helps us boost our rankings so that we can be able to help more and more people learn how they can live a life on their terms. And guys, Word of mouth means everything to me. If you can share this with anybody, family, friends, whoever, your spouse, guys, that would mean the absolute world to me. We need your support for the growth of this community, this movement, and I look forward to bringing you guys so much more content in the future. I love you guys. Take care.